welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hey, everybody. Welcome to an episode and welcome to our 14, I'm assuming 14 people who are in different <laughs> countries. Um, I don't know if we have more than one person yeah, in 14 shout out to the international countries, audience. but shout out to our international audience <laughs> that we have learned that There's we have. There's at least one in all of those countries, including the U.S., at least yeah. one person. Yeah. I, it's exciting. I wish we knew the states. We don't know. Do we know that? Can we find that? Uh, no, not the cool states. We know bummer. the country statistics, but not the states. All right. If you but are outside Canada. of Kentucky, find us on Instagram at Hort Culture Podcast and comment what state that you are in in, in our post. How about a- anywhere. That? If you have a more specific geographical location you'd like to give us for where you're at, you know, in your own country. If you want to give us your own at personal yeah. address. Josh has been collecting GPS social security data. numbers <laughs> as a hobby. Longitude and latitude, whatever. Stamps, I mean, yeah. 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 You know what? Go thrill. ahead and just send us a check. That would be great. Thank you. Just the vital stats. Yeah, we're, just, <laughs> just, we're happy that people out there listen and, and uh, like to hear um, us talk about whatever they love it is Brett's we talk about. Voice, his deep voice, oh. his radio voice. <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't on, say my, my voice is that on deep. tonight's yeah. episode of Forge Culture. All of a sudden, we're all going octave. octave <laughs> uh, what do you mean, Alexis? It's fine. It's fine. It's I don't know. I, I just assume every man when he enters the phone or answers the phone, his voice drops an octave. So. Depends when, uh, on the stress level. Mine actually goes higher. It goes yeah, the other right. Way. Yours does. Yours does it go does. higher. It's, it does go it higher. does when you talk to me. So I guess that means I stress you out. Um. Yeah, <laughs> it's a harmonic vibration. It's Just fine. slowly over the podcast, <laughs> voice gets higher. Uh, we tease our friend Sean saying that he has the. Uh, his extension voice because he'll oh, be yeah. going along and kind of talking like this. And then if somebody has a question, he'll be like, well, the cultivars we, uh, we use out here at the farm are, uh, <laughs> we, I have my customer server service voice. That's for sure. Um, I think give we it to us. What's the difference? Um, hi, this is Alexis. How can I help you? Oh, that's not the voice I get. <laughs> hey, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? What, what do you want? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? I'm busy I feel today. like she answers when I call. I want it in bullet format. Do not give me full sentences, people. Because <laughs> right. it's not a bad text. Have a good time. Yeah. Why I swear to God, if this could have been an email. Word do trick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So what, uh, what's going on right now in like extension office landia? Yeah, it's October. Like, what kind of stuff are y'all doing? You know, All like, the things, uh, getting oh. ready for winter program. And you know, and I've had surprisingly a lot of um, disease questions here lately, and mm-hmm. it's late season disease questions. But I guess that may be a function of more people with protected ag or high tunnels, low. If tunnels you don't have whatnot. powdery mildew, do you even grow things? I mean, no, <laughs> or you're just trying to hide it. Yeah, my zinnias <laughs> succumbed to that long ago. Mm-hmm. I've been doing. Um, we just had a beginner farmer program uh, last night, so. I'm really excited about that and how that's going. And then we've got a beekeeping series uh, mm-hmm. that's been beekeeping going on. Beekeeping classes are coming so, up, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to continue on. And and yeah, really this time of this time of year is just kind of falling. Fall, everything falls into place that you put into place. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, because it's fall, right? Spring. That's why falling they did that. I think of it as autumning into place. Autumning into place. Automatically. For all of our, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how to make our, that work. Uh, British followers out there. It's all, 
Uh, yeah. Aluminium and then into place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and this is a point, truly a serious point. In the future, we're going to try to do a better job of keeping particularly folks in Kentucky up to date. I think we talked about that, didn't we, guys? Mm-hmm. As far as like statewide or regional events mm-hmm. coming up, because there's so many mm-hmm. going on all around the state. And I, for one, have to admit that on this platform, this podcast, I have not been good about bringing up like all of these awesome programs mm-hmm. that I know that's going on both within our organization and other organizations that we work closely with. There's always something great going on. And that's a common question I get at the office because people know when winter comes on that we do a lot of winter series programs and into early spring. I mean, that's particularly heavy time for programming. So we're going to try to do a little bit more of that, I think, in the future to kind of keep the listeners up to date, particularly those listeners that are a little bit closer and a little Mm -hmm. bit more local here in Kentucky. Yeah, there's a lot of like November through March, I would say, is kind of like conference season. And some of those are online. Um, some of those are, you know, in person. And so we'll try and keep you updated um, really quick. I've got some pulled up right here. And these are all awesome. on Zoom. Uh, so if you're interested in them, um, reach out to us and we'll send you a link to them. But we have something called horticulture webinar Wednesdays and Mm -hmm. they're really short, like less than 30 minutes, usually uh, October 18th. And these are all at 1230 uh, PM Eastern standard time. And so October 18th is tree ID in the winter. And so Mm -hmm. we learned about buds and stuff like that, how to do that. And then October 20th with your buds, (laughs) buds, buds. October 25th is a holiday cactus. So if you have Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter cactus, you want to know how to take care of it better. Those are some coming up. Uh, and then there is one in November. And hold on, let me open my calendar. To this is These are all the horticulture webinar Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And those are all open, correct? Yeah, those are open to anybody yeah. is uh, anywhere. Um, it's an open link and you just need to, to mm-hmm. follow it. And Have then the there is one November 6th, which is our webinar for our cut flower short courses and we're going to have uh, mm. Lindsay Beal with Wild Root Flower Company in Ohio and she's going to be talking about kind of budgeting with a like an accounting for flower farms so very flower farm specific so if that's something that you want to do uh, again that's free to sign up it doesn't matter where in the world you are uh, but that is 6 30 eastern standard time so if you are interested in any of that uh, reach out to us and we will get you a link to get signed up for free on those so and the cut thanks. the cut flower short course and some of the other trainings we've done in the past uh, i say we when i other people besides me but uh, you know we're all a team <clears throat> especially when i get a piece of the credit <laughs> Amen. Or no credit at all. Uh, they're available on the on the CCD, the uh, Center for Crop Diversification YouTube channel. So that mm-hmm. our, our handle everywhere for that for the CCD is at CCD UKY. So Instagram, Facebook, and then also on uh, on YouTube, we have a couple of the sh- the cut flower short courses that are uh, you know up in the tens of thousands of views nice. uh, since they've been posted. Very popular, uh, sharing perspectives from famous people in that niche world of <laughs> i find that myself i'm like in the bonsai world there's like these celebrities and it's yeah. like you know eight thousand yeah. total people know who they are in the world but <laughs> but they well, are really well be Tom yeah, exactly. the focus is intense on those people <laughs> exactly yes. right yes awesome well uh what we're gonna get into uh speaking of 
flowers and fall things and, and aliens and all that and celebrities obviously talking about some fall planting so we've kind of already <clears throat> hit on this really specifically with talking about fall cover crops uh, but we've also talked about uh, like garlic as a fall planted crop so today we're kind of leaning in more to the ornamental side so um spring flowering bulbs that you're going to plant right now uh trees and shrubs just overall this idea that fall is a planting time in this at least in the state of kentucky and a lot of people that are in this kind of zone six zone seven area of of the usda planting chart uh, for most of us it's going to be that now if you're much more north than us spring is definitely our ideal time uh, except for again those bulbs and things but uh here we like to tell people to plant their trees uh and their like woody perennials, shrubs, things like that uh, in the fall. So uh, that always surprises people, I think, because spring just seems like an obvious time to be planting. And I've always wondered why, and particularly in our area, why there's not more deciduous trees available at, uh, you know, the box store mm-hmm. nurseries in the fall. But that's typically when you can get some really good deals because they're clearing inventory, mm-hmm. I think, to make room for Christmas decorations. Oh, I'm going to the box stores after tell. this. But it's a I'm great excited. time to pick up sales and put those mm-hmm. in the ground at a great time of the year. So, yeah. I mean, I love it, but I'm just surprised that uh, there's not, I guess, more wide availability of some of these uh this plant stocks at the time of year when they should go on the ground there's, yeah, it, there's more available in the spring yeah it is kind of counterintuitive or strange just because like i think the biggest fruit tree planting i'd ever been a part of was like somebody had gone to a couple of big box stores and basically they were clearing everything out so they got mm-hmm. like a great deal but it all just i mean it's when they were supposed to be planted mm-hmm. anyway it was kind mm-hmm. of perfect yeah, and here folks are trying to get rid of inventory instead of providing a wider selection New of inventory. inventory. Yeah, yeah, usually the yeah. I have found that the local nurseries, mm-hmm. you know, not the big box stores, but the local mm-hmm. nurseries have been doing a better job. I was at a local nursery the other day, and they had just got a fresh shipment of uh, woody shrubs and awesome. small, like, container-sized trees in for mm-hmm. this purpose. And I was like, thank you for doing that. Uh, so we're pushing that. And for those of you who are like, why do I want to plant in fall? It seems so counterintuitive. So for your trees, your shrubs, at least in our area, we we want them to settle in and be able to put in roots while the soil uh, is cool, while we're getting hopefully some precipitation. And then when we get those spring rains, you know, leading us into summer, uh, they can really get established before the heat and the drought of summer hits. Mm. They roots, you know, we always say trees kind of go dormant, right? our deciduous trees at least are going dormant, but they're not, not working, right? They're just Mm -hmm. not, they don't have above ground stuff. So they store a lot of energy throughout the season by photosynthesizing. They drop those leaves and then they push that energy out into root development and doing a lot of those things underground Mm -hmm. at a much slower rate than they would if it was warm, but they are focused. They are still working at that time. Yeah. And hopefully during the fall, I mean, you mentioned it is hopefully they have a more available moisture to take advantage of. Now, that's not always mm-hmm. the case. Uh, yeah. Sometimes we go through extended dry spells in the fall. And I tell people when they're seeding lawns or planting trees, you have to take that into account. It's more for like, I mean, we're towards the end of the lawn seeding uh, window now, but it matters more for like things like that than it does for trees. Trees, typically you can put in the ground, mulch heavy, and just just remember that if we go through a really long period in the wintertime, that it may be necessary to water even mm-hmm. a deciduous tree, especially evergreens, if you decide to do that. It's not my favorite time in the fall to do an evergreen in plant 
planted. But just remember that it may take some water in the fall, even though the plant is not, not a lot's going on with the plant, like Alexis said. Don't forget to water. If you go through like four to six weeks of just absolute drought, the, that plant, even as long as cold, the ground's not yeah. frozen and you can get your water hose out. I know mm-hmm. it's not very convenient and, not, and very rarely I've ever seen homeowners do that. You know, go out when it's kind of chilly out, 30s and 40s, uh, particularly like 40 degree days is a good day to kind of go out and water if your tree's not gotten any water. Just don't forget about that and, and do mulch, you know, a good, you know, two to four inches of mulch on that tree. I think, I think I've said this before, um, but... Something I've come across in my study of trees uh, is that there are some people who actually think of, conceptually think of the season, the perennial season in particular, but in general, starting in the fall. Because mm-hmm. it's, the point, it's the point where seeds are produced. Mm-hmm. It's uh-huh. the point where, you know, if you think about you're going to go on a trip, well, does the trip begin when you get there and have fun? Or does the trip sort of start when you're packing and preparing and gathering all the things you're going to need for that trip mm-hmm. to be successful? Where a lot of that process of storage both within the vascular tissue and within the roots happens in the fall for mm-hmm. these plants. And, you know, Alexis, you were talking about that. We think of, because we see the above ground stuff, mm-hmm. this big flush mm-hmm. out of, of uh, leaves and stuff, and then the pulling back of leaves. In reality, if you could kind of see up and, you know, below ground and above ground, it's almost like this push and pull bellows mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's taking uh-huh. the energy from the roots to build those leaves, photosynthesizing and putting the energy back. And so it's this kind of flow back and forth. And so fall's a really cool time of year. Um, and I know for me, I, I feel like almost more of a birth rebirth feeling in oh, the yeah. fall than I do in the mm-hmm. spring. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I completely agree. But for <clears> me, like my brain is fall is the beginning of my season. I think I've said that mm. before, but like even, and I mean, I do a lot of like quote unquote cool flowers. I mean, they're cool, but they're also cold weather flowers that, that. that they're not going to bloom so until cool. May. Anyways. And so, but, and then all like I do big plantings in the fall, you know, perennials, all that kind of stuff. So uh, bulbs, corms, tubers, all that jazz, which we could talk about. So even though I do put a lot of plants in, you know, around mother's day i feel like my season really begins because i'm getting my seeds and i'm gonna be starting them i'm getting everything prepped like fall is to me a beginning of a season and it's kind of nice because it's almost like you're starting with a blank slate and in fall which is very like exciting to me and i can let everything go that sucked that i didn't do well at mm-hmm. take good notes on what i did do well or whatever and then start fresh. And that's what fall feels like to me. And it's very invigorating. And it's not hot as hell outside. Right, <laughs> So right. it's just like very invigorating. <laughs> and, I, for- and I'm a strange one. I love like landscape bed cleanup when I'm blowing out all of the refuse. And, and if I'm swapping mulch, not, which I don't do, but every three or four years, I try not to let the mulch build up. But just when I'm blowing out beds and I've already, by this time of year, I'm already done with all of my pruning my late summer pruning because I don't want to de-harden the plants this late in the season but I enjoy doing all of that stuff I mean when I go to like you know clean up hemocallus or daylilies and all that uh, that stuff I just have always enjoyed that and that's a that's a flip time for me where I'm just kind of cleaning up putting to bed getting ready for spring but now I say all of that but one thing I'm never good at I guess because I don't plan far enough ahead in my own home landscape is I'm just not good at putting in the spring I always forget to put in the spring flowering bulbs now 
I know. And oh I love mass plantings. Just I just big got mounds of beautiful flowers, so but I'm terrible. Many bulbs and like yesterday, could, and they're coming more. You can see her eyes light up now. Oh my yeah. gosh, my arms are flailing. I'm so yeah, excited. Italian how many? Design. How many bulbs? What'd you get? Um, well, many pounds of bulbs. Remember, this is like my third season of putting in bulbs, so it's not nearly mm. as many as I bought like the first two years. But yesterday, I got a hundred narcissists <laughs> and some. Fritillaria, like the big fancy Fritillaria. If you've never, okay, listen, if you don't know what Fritillaria is, I want you to look at your phone that you're probably listening to this on and I want you to Google it. There are so many different kinds. I'm amazed that they're all called Fritillaria because they look so different. They're super cool. Uh, they're a little bit more expensive, but they're fun. So anyways, I got some of those. I got a hundred of a daffodil that I didn't have. And then I've got about a hundred peonies coming in and mm -hmm. Did you do any Amaryllis. wild tulips? Just curious. Huh? Wild wild tulips. The, I don't do not, wild tulips. I've the got the botanical tulips. Do you do anything with those? Oh Just yeah, curious. I've got, I think fifteen hundred tulips come in, which is like yeah. is it that like much. Regular but tulips or the Lord. other type of tulip? I'm just curious. I'm starting to see some wild tulips or what's called botanical tulips show up now. Oh, and I I've don't, always loved those. I don't but, think uh, I know what those are. Like, what are you? Look them up. Uh, they're amazing. The Latin is dualipa. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it. It's got a dubstep kind of beat to it. Uh, but but no, no, I thought that you would be into those. And uh, they went out of style for, for a long time, but they're great to put in this time. Oh, of year you're too. talking like an old fashioned tulip. That's what uh, I call yeah, it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, people call, I don't know why they're called botanical tulips. I'm like, they call tulips. Not one of your newfangled tulips. Not one of your fancy cultivars, <laughs> your cultivated varieties of tulips. Par parrots no. and, yeah, no, no you've those got are. a lot of fun stuff, it sounds like, which I would expect from you, Alexis. You have I lots mean, of great stuff. What else, what else you were, you were expanding on your list before I derailed you with my wild tulip comment? Peonies. Mm -hmm. it's, good to, it's a great time to plant peonies. If you have mm -hmm. peonies, actually this week reminds me I need to split some. So if you've got a peony that maybe has been dying out or just not blooming very well the past couple of years, iris or another one. Uh, you mm -hmm. can divide those this time of year, share that with your friends, move it around. Uh, it's a great time to do that. Get you a nice shovel out there and just pop that baby across and it's, and you will freak out and it's okay. It'll be fine. So that's a, you know, that perennial planting. And then I've got corms, ranunculus and anemone corms as well as just snapdragons in general like plug cool weather annuals that are going in but uh it's a good time to be planting so if you really love spring flowers you like having that you know hellebores things like that in the in the spring when we're now all kind of in need of color. Now is the time. Uh, you consider your zone for planting those, Alexis. I have heard from now through like Thanksgiving. Is that right? So for it depends on what it is. So something Specifically, that's super, yeah. yeah, it depends on what it is. So something that's really cold hardy, which is going to be like your tulips, your narcissus, anything that'll essentially take a freeze. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can plant those until the ground is frozen. So sometimes mm -hmm. that's like January, as long as they're kept cold because they need those cooling periods. Actually, I spent a lot of time yesterday learning about what individual species of tulips needed, how many cooling weeks and how many days to force bloom and all that kind of stuff. For some of your other things, your cool annuals, a lot of them don't want to freeze solid. Like they'll take cold temps if they've got some remay or so cover some mulch maybe over some of these do you mulch any of those tenders yeah. i'm growing in a high tunnel situation those more tender things sure. yeah so it's a little bit different 
If you've got, if you're planting them at home, uh, like anemones or anunculus, you can plant those at home. You can do them in pots and put them in your garage. Uh, you can also plant them like in a landscape up against like a brick house or something. They usually will do okay. And then mulch would be good for those. And just be aware that they're probably not going to show any signs of life until February. Mm-hmm. So mark make some sort of like notation so that you know where they are and you don't weed them out, weed them out. Uh, and then you should get blooms uh, probably mid to late April on those. If they're just kind of planted out and left to fend for themselves, which, which is a nice time of year. I guess we should back up for homeowners out there. I know com- commercial scenarios are a bit different, but for homeowners, maybe we could just take a second to talk about bed prep and the general mm-hmm. soil conditions that are best for the fall planted bulbs because in their set of conditions where they're going to do better and you're going to ensure better success. I mean, what's your process when you're uh, preparing an area for these yeah. things, fertility, well, soil structure, drainage, everything. What's well, your, what's like your we talked about for garlic, go- drainage is key. Like mm. water will rot your bulbs faster than anything else and then as far as like nutrients go from a lot of these things we're treating them more like annuals so Uh like tulips are an example we i really tell people act like they're an annual if they come back and bloom the next year cool but if you want tulips from year to year plan on planting new ones and so tulips and just perfect beds go up to like three to four years but that seems really rare yeah and it depends on the kind of so i think the ones you were talking about those kind of old-fashioned botanical ones do usually do better, but we tend to in this zone that we're in in Kentucky not have the An best annual. of luck with them yeah. returning, just because we don't get cold enough. Are you fertilizing when you are preparing beds? If it's a new bed for uh, the fall plants, I don't do tulips. I don't do anything. I'm going to treat as an annual because that bulb is a storage structure for nutrients. The nutrient so structure. everything pretty mm-hmm. much it needs is right in there. As long as your pH isn't like really wonky one way or the other if it's relatively close to neutral six to seven ish yeah you'll be fine um and but like daffodils which is something that's going to come back that narcissus year after year you're gonna amend um if you're doing you know anemones ranunculus or any of those annuals that are you know really really quick uh, they do need some some fertilizer or nutrients. Do like a pre plant, like broadcast over an area, just like a general 10, 10, 10. Yeah, pre-plant. for the homeowner, yeah. that would for that homeowners, would, a, yeah. a slow yeah. release is usually plenty. Okay. Get that soil test, you know, see how you things use, are looking. Uh, you guys recommend, or have you used personally like bone meal? I see that recommended a lot as a general nutrient source in the planting hole sometimes. Just depends yeah. on what you're doing. Yeah, bone yeah. meal is pretty safe to use. Yeah. It's not going to burn um, like you would something like a. Even Osmocote, I won't like put right in the hole because it will, it can burn. Um, yeah. yeah. And I also like get that. lots of questions on like depth. Doesn't that kind of depend on the, what you're putting in the ground? Like a tulip's going to be a little bit different, different than like a grape hyacinth. Rule of thumb, kind of same with seeds is twice as deep as the bulb is tall. Um, mm-hmm. So take like the maximum height yeah. of a bulb and twice as deep four to um, seven four to eight inches something mm-hmm. like that the bigger the bulb the deeper you can go with it mm-hmm. it sounds like unless Are you're doing area bulbs really as big as this picture i'm looking look at them up. Uh, yeah some of them i i literally like just reach like transplanted some um out of an area the other day and i mean it's a softball like it's how deep are is that when you're pulling that up how deep are they in the ground? Up two softballs. <laughs> two <laughs> two softballs deep. There you go. Two those, those actually weren't pro- weren't that full double. Mm-hmm. I'd say like they were 
kind of just under the soil surface because that bulb is so big that like in yeah. order to get that basal plate, which is where the roots are going to come out mm-hmm. of, it's the bottom of the bulb, mm-hmm. in order to get it deep enough that it's going to have plenty of, you know, soil to use, you don't necessarily have to plant that deep, but you certainly could and it would be fine. Mm-hmm. I just kind of like, I don't know, shove my soil knife down in there and I'm like, yeah, that's about right. And I pop and it. And you're, you're a hoary hoary knife. Does it have the gradients on there? Or yeah. You just kind of know. Inches. I know you know. By yeah. Feeling, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, how about follow-up fertilizer? Uh, As far as in the spring, are you putting fertilizer a second application on anything in the spring as growth begins? I really... I've seen it done both ways. Yeah, I really don't. Uh, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that you shouldn't, but I have... My soil is pretty high in nutrient level. uh, And overdoing nitrogen can hurt your blooms. So... Mm -hmm. But, But yeah... It's hard with some of these to go wrong as long as uh, you mentioned, as long as the drainage is good. It's hard to go wrong. We're pretty fortunate in this area, particularly in the central part of the state with pretty fertile soils. So, yeah, it seems like they have a pretty good tolerance as long as your pH, like you said, is not anything crazy high or low. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, as far as from a homeowner perspective on how how I've done stuff in the past, something <clears throat> that I've I've done, you know, I don't necessarily do a big block of all one type of plant. So there's not mm-hmm. you know, necessarily straight rows or that kind of thing. I'll, I'll prep a big kind of, uh, I don't know, four by four or four by eight area and kind of cre- and kind of dig it out more or less to the depth that I'm working with and then arrange a bunch of different bulbs in it to kind of lay out what it's going to look like where I want, you know, taller stuff and pay attention to the height mm-hmm. and the bloom pattern and stuff like that. And then fill the whole back, the whole thing back in and kind of plant it that way as just a way of... Uh, if I knew exactly where I wanted things to go, I could just dig a hole and put it in there. But mm-hmm. that allows me a little bit of a reconfiguring like a opportunity. Or, yeah. yeah. And I've seen some pretty interesting planting techniques by professionals. And I think it was at the Cincinnati, Cincinnati oh, Botanical man. Gardens. Yeah. But they double stack their bulbs. Mm-hmm. The larger bulbs go eight inches. The more shallow bulbs, and they knew the bloom period, of course, they were stacked on top of mm-hmm at four inch depth on top of the the ones that they had just planted with phenomenal results and it was so beautiful yeah as i i mean and i was so into that when i saw that bloom and then they described the technique and i thought that was really cool so i am anxious to try that sometime probably this fall i'm going to see what i can i I think they call it double stacking but what did you call it alexis i call it like lasagna bulbs okay because i've seen that i'm just real curious about that method i've never there's a there's a a lot of cut flower growers who are trying to right extend their season into winter. And so one way they're doing that is with these lasagna containers of bulb gardens. And so you plant your biggest bulb, uh, which is usually your, in this case is often your latest blooming bulb in the bottom of the pot. And then you go up a couple inches and you plant the next smallest bulb, which, uh, awesome. you know, so it's like tulips are in the bottom Mm-hmm. Then you'll do daffodils. Then you'll go up and do hyacinths. And then you've got muscari, which is grape hyacinth mm-hmm. on top. And so they'll blue and you just kind of like stagger who's on top of who. So nobody's like really, you know, pushing on anyone. And it blooms. It's the coolest thing to see yeah, like a full a garden in bed. a container. I mean, yeah. Phenomenal. And so that's in containers also mm-hmm. is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's really that's neat. really cool. I guess the next question I have, I get a lot on like, 
fall planted bulbs, when you fast forward that in your mind, as Mm -hmm. far as placement, uh, let's think about landscape bed versus in your lawn area somewhere. And you guys probably know where I'm going with this. Aren't certain types of bulbs, aren't they better for if you're going to put things in a lawn area that are going to be perennial possibly? Like crocus or something? Yes. And some people, they wonder, they see crocus in a lawn and it does fairly well. So they apply that logic to the later growing bulbs and they don't do so well. Like naturalizing an area. Yeah. And it's it's your mowing patterns more Mm -hmm. than anything. If you put your uh, late growing bulbs that that break dormancy late, what you're going to have to do is actually not mow those off if you want them to be perennials and act like Mm -hmm. perennials because you're mowing off the energy factory, the leaves. Just kind of keep that in mind. Your really early plants, like your crocuses, tend to do better in scenarios like that because by the time you mow them, it's not going to have such a big impact on the Mm -hmm. plant. But you can't apply that logic to everything as far as placement of bulbs. Some bulbs to me, just do better and should be kept in the landscape beds. Mm-hmm. And some can actually be affected. What what else could uh, have I seen out in lawns? I mean, I've seen little things. That they're typically not planted, like Star Bethlehem, which mm-hmm. is considered weed in some cases. It, occasional daffodil. That, occasional daffodil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen yeah. some of those kind of mixed in, but they're, you know, they're hit and miss, I think. Yeah, and and those I try to mow around. I have some of those down by my little garden area, and I try to mow around to at least let them make a little bit more energy because sometimes they get into my mowing season. But mm-hmm. there's the, the smaller daffodils I've noticed they work better. Uh-huh. They work more like a crocus. Yeah, the, yeah, they're more of like a. I think they're like botanically more like a paper white, which is mm-hmm. paper whites. Everybody thinks of them as Christmas, and there are paper yeah. whites that are not hardy, uh, but there are they are a narcissus. What am I thinking? The glory of snow and the uh, the dwarf the virus, both and of those are super virus, yeah. early. Yeah. yeah the, what'd you call it? Glory of the snow? What'd yeah. 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 I think that's, I think that's Luke, Luca Jim. I don't know if I pronounce that is. right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. And uh, if there are a- people out there who are interested in, you know, <clears throat> so we our, our house, we have, I would say 90% of what was once lawn is now not lawn. It's mm-hmm. landscaping and other things. And, Uh, I always get uncomfortable when people say that it makes them feel bad or negative or in any way about themselves, but there is something cool about doing that. You should feel bad. (laughs) Some people, well, yeah, I don't want anybody to feel ashamed. I have a lot of lawn. As a, uh, as a, as a a growing up Catholic, I can say that shame doesn't always produce outcomes of uh, action. (laughs) Just sort of stew in it. Flagellations. Not that we have a corner on the market, but we are very good at it. Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, if you are interested, you don't have to go, and we didn't go wholesale. One year you have lawn, the next year you have landscape. You can do it. I I think of it, think of it as literally like biting big chunks out of the mm-hmm. lawn, and so put in a little. And it kind of has it has a cool effect uh, over time because yeah. it creates these little like pads Vignettes of landscaping that expand outward, and you can kind of redo them, or, or you can you know let them rock. But one good way to do that is. If you have some landscaping now that's not grass, add, you know, a little chunk on the outside of it, you know, a little circle or something or a square or whatever. You could put stones around it or do whatever you want to do and put some bulbs in there. Mm-hmm. Let that go. Mulch it heavily. Let that go for a year. You can decide if you want to add more bulbs or if you want to do something different. And then the next year, add another one. And I'm talking like three feet by three feet. 
if you mm-hmm. if you really just want to go and you would be shocked how after a couple of seasons and you start liking it that that's exactly how we've done it is you're mm-hmm. trying to stick with like things that perennialize or come back year after year after year uh, it depends it depends on what yeah. you like so we have sections mm-hmm. of ours that we do more annual we have sections that are a kind of a white wildflower seed bed that's been established so there's some biennials and other stuff that comes up and reseeds and you've got like an herb section and if you start from a place where you have pretty decent control over the weeds and expand outward from that and kind of mm-hmm. just fight the weeds and the grass back over time, it's a way more enjoyable process, mm-hmm. I'll say, sure. than trying it's to just like convert way too yeah. much into Tons of weeds. Work. And uh, I mean, what, trying to turn too, way too much from sod into mm-hmm. you know plants or whatever. But bulbs have always been, well, not just bulbs some corms and some tubers as well have always been a part of our strategy in doing that. Mm. And I'd be curious, Alexis, if you could just give us a quick rundown of the the differences between those things and maybe some examples, bul- bulbs, corms, and tumors and tubers. Mm-hmm. It's not a tuba. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just because not that, you know, it's a little bit academic to some extent, but it's also so cool. a distinction. There's a practical aspect to all that. Yeah. 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 So, um, and you'll sound super smart when you talk to people. So a bulb is essentially like, if you think about most of us have seen like a tulip bulb, but tulips, daffodils, hyacinths, those are all bulbs. Uh, a lot of the time they have a, like a paper, like covering that's going to mm-hmm. be on them that you can remove. But I usually tell people don't like, there's no need to, but if it comes off, it's not a big deal. Uh, and that bulb consists of the flower, like parts of the flower and leaf leaves down in there. So a lot of time you can think kind of like an onion, right? Like an onion has those scales. Um, mm-hmm. Those are modified leaves. Uh, it's sort of kind of like that in a tulip. And so if you were to cut a tulip in half, you would see some of those like scales, which end up being the leaves. And you're also going to see the pieces of the flower that are very, very immature at the time, but that you can tell that they are just an immature flower. So that's all talked down into a bulb and then a corm is very similar it's a storage a, uh, a st- uh, what, what's the word i'm looking storage for? structure storage structure thank you yeah. and so there are not visible rings when you cut into that one like you would with a bulb and so a corm would be something like a gladiolia crocus uh, ranunculus anemones all are corms and they don't all look the same so corm is i always feel like if it doesn't look like an obvious bulb it's probably a corm because they can kind of come in different shapes and so they have they're more of a storage structure and you're not going to see those same floral and leaf things down in there uh, and then a tuber is different from both of those uh, caladiums are an example of a tuber and then of course a potato is uh, and it is a modified root structure and so uh, you get shoots and stems that come out of that and then those are what form your floral um, floral pieces uh, dahlias are even some they're a tuberous root which is yet another different weird structure and then you've got like rhizomes and stolons which is more like irises um Mm -hmm. and you jump into all of those but most of the time when we talk about winter planted bulbs we talk about corms uh and bulbs and we kind of lump those all together like if you call a ranunculus a bulb nobody's gonna be mad we're gonna know that you don't listen to the podcast but uh, we're not gonna be mad 
And just a quick note, you can tell if the, the flower is immature if it laughs when you say stamen and pistol. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the sexual reproduction jokes just so, never end. <laughs> so did you did you touch on or maybe reinforce some of the pra- you Ray, you mentioned the practical implications of the different types with yeah, Lex, it's like, um, like by division or just mm. going out and chopping things up with a shovel. I mm-hmm. mean, are we talking hours here or <laughs> what kind of practical impact does this have as people are dividing these things going through division processes? So I would say the, the easiest and most bang for your buck comes from when you divide a, um, a tuberous root so uh, that's that dahlia or even peony Mm -hmm. or you divide or you like take cuttings from like a tuber or those rhizomes that we talked about because essentially you are taking one giant plant and you're dividing it into a couple smaller plants clones clones of them exactly they're clones of themselves and you're getting you're going to get more of an instant impact out of that so bulbs and corms will produce as well but the difference here is is that most of the time like when you go buy ranunculus or you go buy tulips or gladiolias at the store those bulbs that you're buying at the store those bulbs and corms are specifically have been treated to sell as a bulb and a corm. And what I mean by that is that most of the time the flowers have been cut off early in the season so that that plant focuses on developing that underground structure and less on the the flower. So if you bring that gladiolia corm home and you plant it and you let it bloom, it's going to take a lot longer time for you to get more gladiolia corms. It does happen they're called like corms are called cor- the little minis that form on them the the future corms are called called cormels and then on bulbs <laughs> they're called bulblets and they literally look like tiny <laughs> little bulbs they're very cute they super cute bulblets so if you've ever gotten a tulip and you see what looks like a tiny little you know dew drop coming off of it looks like a little tiny mini bulb that's a bulblet and eventually that would be big enough to form a bulb but you would be sacrificing the bloom in order to get it to that stage. So most of us are not going to do that and we just let things happen over time. So I usually don't tell people to plan on getting more bulbs or corms, right? You can dig those up if you want and move them and plant them somewhere else, but you're not going to get, you know, double the amount from mm-hmm. year to year. But your tuber, your peonies, your mm-hmm. more herbaceous things, um, dahlias, things like that, those you can divide with abandon. And they benefit from for mm-hmm. um you know dividing them every so often, don't they? They get I mean, crowded, things, man. They, they don't get like crowded. To be There's crowded. I mean you look down in some of these irises and things, they you see no soil. You just mm-hmm. see the tops of plant parts bulging mm-hmm. out of the ground. Yeah. If you yeah, so um, seem to benefit uh, from that. If you if you're not sure if something needs to be divided or moved, and this is also true with like things like your daffodils. If you see like the inner ring is dying out and so you kind of mm. almost have this circle of live stuff on the outside, that means that you need to divide. It's getting too crowded. Hmm. Yeah. Fun fact. Is there, I mean, is there, uh, this is a little off, it's not really off topic, but is there, is there like a, 
is this just because these are cultivars? These are things that have been been bred for this particular thing. I'm just imagining like, is there some sort of natural cycle that would create like induce that or neat? Like, I mean, you're not the dieback. No, the dividing, like the the Mm. process of the dividing needing to be dot, you know, needing to be Mm. divided. Like it seems like a reproductive strategy for an area that's getting like heavily disturbed. Right. And and I believe the, the reason, one of the reasons we, you know, want to divide things is our our ornamental expectations are a little higher than mother nature's. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then I often wondered about that breath. That's a great point because I think that we, we know what that plant looks like at its peak, you know, performance and we want to keep it performing, you know, because we value it for the way that it looks, it's ornamental value. And I think that's one of the things. Now, I guess in nature, yeah, like Josh was saying, were you alluding to the fact that the way it spreads or creeps or, you know, when you talk about rhizomes and stolons and things and these mechanisms that plants have of outward expansion. But for me, like irises, like Alexis was saying, yeah, it's just I want them to all look really nice and really uniform. And the only way I know to do that is to give them space and divide them. So each one, each section of plant, each clone is performing at its peak. Right. I mean, if you think about it right, there are these storage structures that are like really starchy. So it's mm-hmm. animals digging them up and mm-hmm. tearing them apart and pieces mm-hmm. are being left that can reproduce the plant. Exactly. Yeah. Like, a, like dahlias, are, dahlias yeah. are edible. Right. And yeah, I mean, if you can cut a dahlia tuber in half if you wanted, and as long as there's an eye on there similar to a potato, it'll it'll grow, you know, and it'll form roots and it'll, it'll be fine. And, you know, rhizomes are a modified root structure. And so they can pretty much just be moved and dug up and put anywhere. Um, so I would say it's just, yeah, that expansion, uh, part of it. Hmm. How about when folks go at their local, you know, purchase place, place of purchase box store or nursery and go to purchase bulbs, what should they be looking for? Because not all bulbs are created equal. I mean, things can happen in shipping and stuff. What are folks looking for when they're selecting and purchasing bulbs? Based on what Josh just said, I might do a taste test. Next you time. might have to. Mm. You see people choose Jeff or whatever. We are not telling you to eat any of Starchy. these bulbs. No. <laughs> no. But you're telling me personally, just not our audience. Yeah, yeah. just not right, the audience. Right. Brett, you. you can okay eat whatever bread. poisonous <laughs> things you want. If it gives you gladiolus. If it gives you acid reflux, it was a good bulb. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would say look for ones that um, v- like visually if you can't touch them because sometimes they're in boxes and there's yeah, like a little clear that, window tough. so you can't necessarily touch them. Look to see if there's any like uh, mold growth on them. You don't want anything mm. with mold growth that's uh, going to be, um, you know, pythium or different stuff like that. So you don't want any fuzzy green, white, anything like that on there. Uh, if you can like physically handle the bulbs you want them to be like heavy and full so if you can just think about like garlic as well if you've ever gotten garlic and some of them are um it's like there's nothing in there it's like there's nothing Mm -hmm. in the shell so to speak you don't want that with bulb you want them to be nice and um lush and and not moist i'm guessing i'm guessing mushy is not a good mushy is not a good thing no and it's really it's really tough for me when i see things are in a box i want to see them Mm-hmm. I love the well, little like, I straight up sacks. open the boxes. I'm yeah. not telling you to do that, but I'm telling you what I do. <laughs> I have been instructed not to open do the boxes. Do as I say, not I as I open do. The boxes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. open the boxes. Sometimes if they're really bad, you can smell them. I think that was what you mm-hmm. were getting at, Alexis, right? Ooh. It smells very yeah. distinct. 
It is gross. Have you ever like lost some potatoes in your house and they've Dead gone mess, rotten? No. Yeah. Oh, that's it a is, good one. It is the worst smell. Mm-hmm. I remember when I like uh, lived on my own. I first start moved to Danville. I forgot about this weird little <laughs> cabinet in this apartment, and I put my bag of potatoes down in there, and mm, could not bag. for like two weeks. Was like, what is that smell? It was like death. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, the yeah. worst. Could not figure it out. And then finally, I just started opening everything. I was like, it's in this kitchen somewhere. And I opened every <laughs> single one. And I finally found this weird little cabinet off the side and opened it up. And I almost vomited on the spot. And there were like yeah, yeah. maggots everywhere. It was so gross. Yeah, no, they're bad. That reminds me of like, you know, if you hand dig potatoes, there's like the seed potato down yeah. in there. Yeah. And like, so you're digging and you're grabbing potatoes. They're all like healthy and nice. And then you hit the seed potato and it just like pops. Uh-huh. It's just like soup inside. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The good yeah. smell to be on your hands and knees. Mm-hmm. You not only yeah. smell it, but you're marinated in it. We it's do that. Great. I do that with dahlias, like the mother tuber is what mm-hmm. is what it's called. And sometimes it's just yeah, it's gross. And it's usually cold and wet when you're digging dahlias, and you're like oh, nice. And it's your muddy and it adds just, to the ambiance. It's miserable. It's so miserable. Now, one first, thing I want to explain that I thought you were setting up for like uh, your your tales as a pioneer from the frontier when the family would gather around and play hide the potato. And occasionally, game we mother, mother would do too no. good of a job and, <laughs> and <laughs> we hide the wall cavity and brick it up. Instead the of Easter egg hunts, we had everybody find, loses. Yes, yeah, so lost a potato in your house. I was like, oh, yeah. Now we're having all this discussion on like fall planted things, but I want to ask you guys and bring this up and it's going to invoke anger in a certain amount of listeners, but that with the interface between all of these fall planted plant materials and squirrels and voles and things like that, is there any way to protect these things from critters that would like to dig them up and eat them or otherwise destroy your hard work? Do you guys have any secret? I got my 22 rest- under the bed. Okay, well, <laughs> that certainly is an option, I suppose. I'm just and kidding. Like a, nice, okay. a nice warm uh, sleeping bag for sleeping out in the field. Yeah. <laughs> a pack of uh, hungry, distraught cats. Well, I, up I have a bed. pack of cats. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, that, very, that's actually a good point, yeah. I'm very excited because when I was uh, out for uh, a nice walk the other Morning or evening, my <laughs> sometime during the whenever day. it was at some point in recent history, <laughs> the past four weeks, one of my neighbors had decided to jettison their supply of chicken wire, and they also oh, had oh, hardware. Mm. Yes, nice. but I yes. I was only able to carry one, so I grabbed the I grabbed the uh, chicken wire. It was morning because I was going to go back in the evening, and the hardware cloth was gone. Darn oh it. yeah. Oh. But, yeah, you know, I would grab that. Spreading it out to all the people, but <laughs> uh, and you just use that, I guess, Brent. So, so I put when I was talking earlier a little bit about the my I dig out an area, you know, three by eight or four by eight or whatever, whatever size I'm planting. Put the bulbs in, put the soil, kind of pack it nicely so that there's good soil to bulb contact, and then I once I'm like at the soil level, I take and put some chicken wire down and kind of pin it over there. And then put mulch on top of that. And we, we did have, uh, you know, I don't know, $400 worth of bulbs completely eaten yeah. and taken up by squirrels oh, a couple years ago. <laughs> and um, so that has that has worked for us, at least. Do you leave our... that down and just let the plant material grow through that? Or do, do you take it up or you leave it down? Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And the chicken wire is 
the the holes it's not mm-hmm. like the smallest chicken wire you know it's got yeah, like a hardware instant. cloth or some right. of the tiny tiny little openings in some wire gotcha right gotcha. and and that that's been how we've how we've done it and so awesome. you know if you're doing an annual thing you are going to have to pull it up and plant under it and then put it back down uh but it is it is well worth it and the number of people in our neighborhood who tell us how happy our spring flowers make them is like Aww. always like shocking and like catches me off guard yeah. and it's like oh, okay this is worth definitely worth doing yeah <laughs> i mean it, the squirrels can do an enormous amount of damage in a short <laughs> yeah. amount of time Four hundred dollars. Wow, and that just totally—I could see that over just uh, probably not that long of a period of time. They could really do some yeah. damage. Yeah. yeah, it's yep. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So great, great tip there. I love it. I, I love don't know it. if you all not have you all has anybody ever done that? Uh, just mm-hmm. the different types of wire and things, but that's a good point, Brett. Uh, the good thing about chicken wire is it's big enough to where most things can go around it and it doesn't hinder yeah. anything. I've seen some people put things down that are so fine, they do a good job, but then they have to pull that up before spring mm-hmm. growth begins if it's tiny little openings and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like a tiny mesh, but yeah. yeah. I definitely didn't want it to grow up and then like uh, girdle it oh, yeah. and kill it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It worked. It worked. It's worked great the last two it's years. It's invisible. I mean, it's, yeah, it's under, under mulch. your mulch. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Thank you. I have a pack of cats. Oh. <laughs> and Yelp you have some corgis. Do corgis go after any little creatures in the ground or running around? Like they should. Have I told you all enough. this story before about uh, the, that uh, experience? Readers haven't heard it, I bet. Readers, so <laughs> so corgis are herding dogs, right? So I really don't mm. expect them to be like little hunters. Um, I have a friend who has a pack of wiener dogs that I need to have come oh, over. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I'm afraid they would destroy too much just in vengeance. Probably. So I put I've talked about it before. I put silage tarps down on a lot of my stuff as I rotate things around. And uh, there, when we were doing, oh, I think I was starting a new bed and I put, uh, had the silage tarp down like all summer and pulled it up for fall planting. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it was for, for my perennials. And, you know, it was pretty big. It was like a 50 by 50 <laughs> foot silage tarp. And so we're, we pull it up and we have voles, of course, on the farm. And so those of you who don't know voles are, they're kind of like a field mouse, but they have short tails, but essentially imagine it sort of like a field mouse. Uh, But they love to eat like the bark around your trees and your corms and all, I mean, they'll eat all of your bulbs and stuff like that. So we had, I have three cats. And so they know when we pull the tarp up, those voles are going to be right (laughs) underneath there. The toys are coming out. And so you like hunt kind of together and they wait on the outsides as we fold this tarp back. And um, my oldest Corgi like doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And he's like, I'm a herd dog. <laughs> just is so confused by what the cats are doing, but he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And the cats kind of chased it to him and he swallowed, the, picked it up and swallowed the thing whole. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> bones and all bones and all. Completely I mean, it was like, I was like, no. And it was down. Like it was in yeah. the stomach before I could even get close. And, um, but a part was, of you had to enjoy him doing that because that's I was one really less proud bowl. of him. Yeah, I was one like, well, bowl. at least there's that. But then I was also like, this is going to be a rough night. How long did it take for you to take him to the vet? Did that happen? Oh, no, nothing happened. He, okay. I, I don't okay. know Good. when Good. it came out, Good. but I'm crazy. sure them it did at some Well, <laughs> yeah, but this dog is also allergic to chicken. So, you know, we didn't know what to expect. 
So well, the hair was no weird. Problem. Was a, yeah. Know, after, that bowl, after that bowl, his coat was glistening. Man. He it was glossy. Like, he, he actually up. caught another one uh, on his like later that like the next year. Um, kind of the same thing. The cats were working with him, but he like had figured it out at that point, and he did catch one and he did put it down. I was like, thank you. And I took it and got rid of it. But uh, yeah, the cats actually are in the mornings. I can see them out in the fields like hunting. And I think that's what they're going after is the voles and the higher grass. So get you a pack of cats and feed them, but maybe just like a little bit less. <laughs> and they will take care of your squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Squirrels, voles, whatever. Whatever. Moles. Moles and voles. Oh my. Well, I think that that basically covers it i mean i could for one talk forever about bulbs and corms and talk to you about <laughs> and days and, and, and weeks, freezing weeks for tulips each individual one give mm. you resources on that i'm gonna try and force some tulips for valentine's day this year i'm probably gonna fail miserably but i'm gonna give it a shot That's and all spirit. that all that yeah. to say, experiment, <laughs> you know, like bulbs can be expensive, but you could buy some less in, less expensive ones. Same with seeds, like in the grand scheme of things, they're not that expensive. So experiment and uh, you may be the person who's figured out something new yeah. and cool. Uh, plant your trees and shrubs, divide your peonies and your iris, mulch you your stuff. If you want to be inspired by tulips, check out the planting at the... Mm. Um, Cincinnati botanical Zoo. garden in Cincinnati, yeah. Or as mm -hmm. they they like to say, uh, Cincinnati botanicals garden and Tan Zoo. just tanicals, <laughs> tanicals. <laughs> but uh, yeah, their planting is insane. They also have the animals spring. there, but yeah, yeah. yeah. there's animals, but it's no big deal. I mean, this is the horticulture podcast. Yeah. We care. It about. is beautiful. Yeah, Josh, I agree. It's amazing place to visit there in the spring. It is absolutely gorgeous there in the spring. Mm -hmm. If you want to hear a deeper dive on any particular type of flower, plant, et cetera, that we've covered, you know, generally as categories today, let us know. We would be happy to do a tulips episode or a, you know, small shrubs episode or, you know, whatever Amarillis. you want to hear. What's that? Amaryllis. We should, when it gets closer to Christmas, briefly talk about amaryllis and how to like care for them after mm. the holiday and stuff. Huh. We could talk about that if you, if you want to do that. I don't know. I just this is this is a fun topic, and we hope that you all had fun with it. But yeah, if you've got anything more specific, yeah, we just try to cover it broadly. And so, if there's something yes. more specific that you want us more to hear, want us to talk about, we'd be very happy to do that. And if you want to let us know, you can find us on Instagram, Hort Culture Podcast, uh, and you can send us a direct message there or a comment on a post if you would like to. We'd love to get that. You can also shoot us an email. Horticulturepodcast at l.uky.edu. Uh, you can let us know through that. We've got some people who send us some emails and we are grateful for them. They give us some good, great ideas uh, and let us know what we're doing good at. Uh, and I guess what we're doing bad at, I don't know. They've so far been positive. There probably isn't anything. <laughs> no. You no can also leave us a review and you can put it in there if you would like to. We love uh, that. It helps other people find us. It pleases the algorithm. So uh, let us know where you're from in there as well if you want to shoot us a review on that. And maybe we'll figure out some cool stuff to talk that are both Kentucky and one of these other 14 countries relevant um <laughs> or you know ohio tennessee you guys are welcome to it's fine uh, <laughs> so you can contact us there 
We'd love to hear from you and we really appreciate any feedback that you have. Uh, We hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us. Join us next week. We're going to talk about a little bit of spooky stuff on the podcast, a little bit of a little bit of plant lore for you. So (gasps) thanks for being here. (laughs) Have a great day. Have a great rest of your week. (laughs) Have a great time. (laughs) 